Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree. So last week, Succession, a series about the inner lives of the super rich, made headlines for getting like 25 Emmy nominations. Uh, the show was known for how instead of glorifying rich people, it kind of chose to satirize them instead. L to the OG. Sorry, I had to insert a bad joke in there. Uh, but that got the team just wondering about uh, the cultural perceptions around being rich. And um, is it okay to still aspire to be rich in today's world? So that's what we're going to be breaking down. And to start off with, let's ask everybody where do you stand, yes or no? Is it okay to aspire to be rich? This is Shishti, your host. And as usual, I'm very confused. Hi, this is Rohita. And um, I, I, I say that no, it's not okay to want to be rich. Although I understand it, but I don't think it's okay. Hey, it's Carla. Um, I think these days, unfortunately, because having like proper health care and decent shelter and a good education requires a huge amount of resources, I actually think it's a perfectly worthwhile aspiration to want to have your and your family's basic needs covered. So I don't have a problem with it. I don't think that's like an accurate definition in the first place of like being rich, right? Because basic needs covered is not the same as being rich. So I obviously, my position is based on wanting everyone to have their basic needs covered and I don't see like wanting to be rich or wealth as compatible with that in a larger sense. Okay, then maybe we have chicken and egg, the exact same opinion, because I think my perspective is that as long as we live in a world where securing an education for yourself requires actually being rich or you know being upper middle class at least right and 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 having that level of resources or if you get very sick being able to like find the proper medical care requires those types of resources i don't think there's anything wrong with aspiring to a certain level of financial comfort where you would be afforded those things before we kind of tease this apart, right, I think one important thing is to just figure out, like, what do we exactly mean by rich? Because how do you actually define it, especially in a country like India? But um, if, we, if we were to kind of figure out, right, like, what is the definition of being rich for us, then maybe we can kind of tease this out better. So let's go through a few scenarios and see where we stand on that, right? So what about being able to tie through a major health crisis comfortably? So do we think this level of, well, aspiring to be this level of wealthy is okay? I'm confused about this because it, it, it also has to do with our public health infrastructure being so broken. And I think more than individually aspiring to this level of wealth, if collectively we can aspire to better public health systems, advocate for that and institute some kind of systemic change, that's like, bet I mean, obviously that's a much more longer term thing yeah. yeah you know i think that's an interesting thing and i feel like that's maybe at the core of what we're debating here right like about where does the individual aspiration to be rich actually stand in way of like systemic equality amongst everyone right and i think that the more you start to think of like independently being wealthy so that hey i can afford that really expensive private hospital which will give me the best treatment the less accountable we hold let's say public hospitals or you know and we've seen this especially in india with like education at one point in time everybody the aspiration was to go to like a government college and everybody wanted to go to delhi university and all of that and today that's still there but now you know the same middle class and like slightly like 
that same straight out society would want to go to Ivy Leagues or they'd want to go to an Ashoka or a Jindal or, you know, like private universities. And I think that really messes up the system for everyone. And you know what's interesting? This th- particular thing that you mentioned, because there is a study that talks about how uh, the people who are already wealthy want to become richer and how we should be focusing on that because uh, the study found that this desire is rooted in how people view their own identity and status. So it's like status and identity kind of fuel this aspiration to get wealthier. And so the whole Ivy League and Ashoka Jindal, that prestige thing, Mm -hmm. it tracks with the idea of status, right? That comes with having a certain threshold of wealth already. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's like go to a different different aspect of like is it okay to aspire to this this amount of rich which is not experiencing stress related to money or finances ever is it okay to aspire aspire to that level of rich i would like to know if anybody has this level of rich (laughs) no i'm just thinking i mean to speak to the thing about how it's all relative like i think at every level people have these but that would be i think the ultimate is to literally never have to be concerned about this in any way, shape, or form. And is that an okay level of rich? Maybe not, because it seems quite extreme. But also, I feel like you're never going to be that... You can't aspire to something like that, because it's not going to work out. How do you define your needs versus your wants? Okay, what about this? Now, this is going to be the interesting one. Uh, Being able to invest in... Leisure. So basically, vacations every year, workcations, dinners and outings to nice places on the weekends. Is it okay to aspire to this level of rich? No, I don't think so. Eh? Because, again, it's possible to have nice things and and spend time in leisure without having to spend money. And unfortunately... Again, it boils down to the way society is structured where it forces us literally to spend to have any modicum of entertainment or enjoyment because there's less investment in like public parks. I mean, I mean I've been in Bombay for a while. Where is I have not seen a park in this city <laughs> and I, I have not seen a walkable sidewalk also. I have not seen like it's just you can't do anything without spending money. In, mo- in a lot of places, and yeah, I don't think... Yeah. All we happen. have is the spirit. We don't have infrastructure. <laughs> Adequate <laughs> infrastructure. Okay, I don't know, because this is like... I, I totally agree with you in spirit, but I just wonder... And I remember there was this moment when I was like sitting at this really nice restaurant in Bombay, and then I was like uh, having a glass of wine and having yeah. something nice to eat. And, you know, I was like, I thought I don't care about the fine things uh, in life, <laughs> but this makes me so happy. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wish it wasn't, but I can't deny that, like, I was like, this is amazing <laughs> to be able to, like, yeah, do this. Yeah, I also kind of, I mean, I agree. I also kind of think that rest requires money like leisure requires money so if you take it outside the confines of like paying to do a specific activity or like spending because it gives you a thrill to spend on something I just mean having the time and space away from work 
having the ability to maybe take yourself out of a congested, polluted city and travel to somewhere cleaner and like be within nature. All of these things that help us to experience like joy and connection with our environment, they still cost a lot of money. I actually don't think there's anything wrong with aspiring to those. My problem with this comes from the fact that I like inherently I always feel like of course even I enjoy things like that sometimes and I but I'm always uh, aware in the back of my mind that nothing I do along these lines is independent of someone else not having something not being able to do this like I can't uh, like the reason I am able to is because someone else and many others are not able to right so I mean like I feel like more more people should at least have that consciousness so that maybe it will it, it will drive some kind of collective action because I really think um, but I also understand like you know exhaustion and capitalism and all of that <laughs> but yeah like this, this, it, we're never as independent as we we feel like we are and it's but the pursuit is always very individualistic so, I mean, I just have a question here, which is that because I, I do agree and I think all of us agree with your position, like, I mean, that it is. But I'm just wondering that can the pursuit for rest to be equal, be restful? Like, you know, the reason that we turn back to be like, OK, that gives me joy when I'm sitting and having that is because that gives you joy and the pursuit of um, the right to leisure for everybody or rest for everybody or whatever is is more of like a struggle you know what i mean where you do have to kind of yeah and and i'm not sure if i'm articulating it correctly but you are and it's not leisure if it's like laden with guilt so on some level i don't i think that being conscious is a good thing but never experiencing joy of that type because it's not fair that not every single person in the world can do it Is that like ethically, is that the only morally correct avenue here? I don't know. Okay, so there is research, right? There's a, there was a Pew survey a while ago uh, about what people actually, like how people actually feel about wealth and wanting to um, have more, become richer. And what they found contradictory to what they expected to find was that uh, like far more people expressed satisfaction and joy from community-based things and like volunteering, giving back to society, participating in some way in like for the benefit of others and in service of a larger goal, which is like societally oriented than individualistically pursuing wealth. Um, like so the way they value wealth and the way they value like things like volunteerism and things like that, like it was an unexpected finding and I feel like that just goes to show that we really don't give enough credit to the idea that we can derive joy out of other things that don't involve consumerism all the time, right? One of the reasons that this is one of the most pervasive aspirations is that people think that when I have this, I'll be happier, right? Like maybe when I can have that experience of the drinking the glass of wine at the fancy restaurant, if I could do that every day instead of once every, you know, three months, maybe then I would be happier. Or if I just, you know, was able to get, I don't know, 
the house with the, I don't know, with the extra bedroom, then I would be happier. If I just was able to buy that car, I'd be happier. So people think that if only I had these more, this many more things, that I would be happier and I'd be okay. But you know, there's that super, super famous study that was done in the US where they tried to figure out like, are rich people actually happier, right? And what they found is that up until a certain point, up until a certain income level, which is essentially in the US, what would be like middle class, what would be defined as middle class. Hmm. Up until then, yes, higher wealth did correlate with higher happiness, essentially because people's needs were met. They had food, they didn't have to worry about putting food on the table. But once it crossed that level, then happiness levels plateaued. And so they were not, they, they did not show, and this was like a, a longitudinal study, and like it was, it was like a, a major piece of research that was written up quite a bit that even people with extreme wealth did not experience more happiness than a middle, you know, somebody with a middle class income. In other words, speaking to this idea that like there's always something more, like it's always relative, there, it's always, you know, you're never satisfied, right? Because there's always some other level that you could reach, which I think leaves people in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction even. I think I totally agree with that. And I think if we think about the aspiration to wealth, I think it comes from the fact that our popular narratives are overwhelmed by like advertising and brands investing in showing us this idea that if you have a product, it makes you happy, right? That's also the first thing that they tell you when they're teaching you advertising, that it's not about selling a product, it's about selling a feeling. And so I feel like we're constantly surrounded by messaging which says that if you had that luxury bag or if you had that house over here or if you had, you would be happy. But then once you do get that, you realize that you're not. Yeah, so I, I don't know how much of a role do you think that 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 pedestalization of like being able to buy things, how much of a role that plays in just propagating this aspiration. Yeah, and in fact, like a lot of research shows, like Ala was saying, that um, people don't actually want that much. This narrative of like human beings have unlimited wants, they always keep wanting more, is this ideological construct that has fueled more and more and more consumerism and advertising, like you said, and like, this rise of corporates and brands selling us things. But the, I mean, the truth of the matter is that people don't actually want so many things. And now there's like so much overwhelm because there's so many products and whatever, whatnot thrown at us. To the initial question, we were going through all those scenarios. Which ones do we find like abhorrent? I find the aspiration for stuff quite abhorrent. So like people who want to become rich so they can buy a bunch of handbags and shoes like I you know I can't get behind you know I was behind it with with all of our other definitions but I can't get behind it on that one so if it's like about the consumption of material goods I think that's one that we probably all agree is like not uh has no societal value yeah yeah I think I luckily never related to the pop culture of that. And there's enough about that also, you know, in the so-called chick flicks and rom-coms, like the aspiration for that one bag or that one, you know, little piece of item, which is going to make, I mean, little piece of item, or that one (laughs) item that's going to make you happy and solve all your problems. But uh, wait, I do have to admit, though, that when I watch Clueless as a teenager, and her rotating wardrobe that like matches yeah. your outfits. Come on. <laughs> I did aspire. I did aspire to that wardrobe. I have to admit it. It got us it got us all hooked. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about how these aspirations of wealth play out in pop culture, right? So um 
let's talk about movies which have the rags to riches story or that template right which is there in like almost every second movie like slumdog millionaire you also see it in like reality television right like you root for the person who's who doesn't have a lot and who comes and because of their talent as a singer or as a fighter on roadies or <laughs> as like knowledge on a quiz show becomes like really wealthy so what do you think about this aspiration do you think it's it gives people hope who don't have wealth and hence it's required or do you think it's it's harmful i think it's horrific honestly because what <laughs> no because <laughs> oh my god people need to open dreams okay no i'll tell you why because a lot of these <laughs> no 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 i'll tell you why i think nobody shouldn't have to earn their right to have things have especially like to get out of poverty no one should have to earn it right so slumdog millionaire that's the narrative it's like one in a million can lift themselves out of this wretched poverty because of their smarts or whatever but like if nobody else deserves it or you know even in reality shows like kbc and roadies it's like people have to humiliate themselves for that prize money and it's just very i mean like i don't know it's it's not um like ultimately it's just sad and dystopic i feel yeah i also hate the tv shows where people humiliate themselves for prize money but that's different the rags to riches stories in pop culture are great they give people no <laughs> they're wonderful okay they give people hope that they might be able to like escape a bad situation and it's not always that you know you're the only one because you're smart you know you, if you're this super super exceptional person you get to win it's that first of all everyone loves a good story and everyone loves to root for the underdog and so to me it's like a you know it's it's always like somebody who's like a, a, up against the system up against sort of you know injustice of some kind and they overcome the odds and that's like a natural human thing to love those stories and be attracted to those stories. I don't think the I don't think the trope in and of itself is harmful. But I'm just <clears throat> I'm just wondering because I was also thinking about that suddenly and I thought about even like movies actually every movie has a rags to riches storyline even when it's not explicitly about that like even if you think about a gully boy which is about how uh, murad becomes like a famous and a recognized rapper right but actually every aspect like the underdog only becomes the dog no the underdog only <laughs> becomes successful <laughs> when they get like validation in terms of capital right yeah. so it's when others around recognize that your art is good so you're a good artist or yeah. whatever but in real life that doesn't quite like it's false hope so parasite kind of deconstructed this whole idea right that actually nobody like very very few people it's like a needle in a haystack chance that you can actually make it that big and the vast majority who aspire to that end up being disappointed and it showed that whole uh, tension right the resentment about being lied to in this way and yeah so i mean especially recently like these movies have become a thing and it like pop culture itself i think is recognizing the fact that these underdog stories just don't cut it anymore because people are not buying it even parasite itself sorry but as a film is like a one in a million story right like as in no i mean the fact that like this relatively small relatively like low budget not created for a mainstream audience like the way it broke into 
the level of success it got was itself kind of like a little bit of a slumdog millionaire story. Like, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I think that like, to give another example, when communist writers like say, Javed Akhtar and Salim Khan, who are very famous, like Javed Salim duo, and they used to make some of the best, like most successful Bollywood films. When they were writing their movies, the themes used to be about uh, defeating a corrupt government, about defeating, you know, and about justice. They wouldn't be about like individuals aspiring mm. to wealth. So, and that's how Amitabh Bachchan became like this angry young man and the hero for the working classes, right? So I feel like they made you struggle more with questions of like, social justice or like living in a country like India and like making sense of this world rather than an individual story of like hey how can I succeed and get myself which again I think is at the heart of what we're debating right because we aspire for like individual success I think all of us do but we also want social justice and the two of them are kind of like at odds with each other but I think as stories we definitely need more of those you know now that you say it it strikes me that those stories were more common at a different time yeah so why don't they get made anymore is it because they're not commercially viable everybody wants to watch RRR and Bahubali yeah (laughs) no but you know one interesting insight which we got from Ranjani Mazandar who's a film scholar who we interviewed for In Perspective our other series was that it's also a little bit about like the changes in the film industry so when when some of these first people came like Javed Salim came on trains they had no money they like came in and now their you know uh, successors are like say Farhan Akhtar and Zoya Akhtar who are supposed to be the most progressive filmmakers in our generation but they just tell different stories like Dilchata is set in Australia Uh, you know Zoya Akhtar say Dil Dharakne Do or um, uh, luck by chance are set in a different strata because they just belong to a different strata you know and they're as true to their settings and you know as just as they can be to their stories but they're just different people who are telling different things yeah and um, the kind of stories that were being told especially in the Indian context because I don't know if this applies so much I mean it does but in the Indian context um, yeah. these stories stopped being told uh, predominantly in the 90s onwards with liberalization and the aspirations itself became different where it was like the NRization of India of, of movies and of stories like yeah. um, DDLJ and all the, like similar movies like that uh, set abroad again um, because this the, the, in, the Hindi film also became an industry before this it was never called Bollywood yeah. um, it was just the Hindi film industry uh, sorry, the hin- like Hindi films. Like yeah, Bombay cinema. Bombay cinema. Um, and now it became an industry. Like Bollywood became an industry. It just got like more and more commercialized. And the, the idea was to was to sell uh, stories rather than rather than like talk like explore meaningful things, make people think. So um, that's why we also have like even now even the the films with a progressive veneer like Kapoor and Sons and Dil Dhadakne Do like who and even Gehraya for that matter like whose stories are they even telling like we're not even hearing any other kind of story other than like stories about people who can afford yachts and and travel in them and yeah like their inner lives so I think that I like I I'm not very sure about where I stand with that because I feel like um 
one that these films are doing well but they're not doing as well compared to all of your rrr and kgf and bahubali because people want to see those big spectacles and so they're not selling as much as any of these are which don't and those films don't glorify wealth they glorify a lot of other stuff like violence and toxic masculinity and a lot of other things but um i don't know like is every kind of film about wealthy people does it automatically glorify wealth as an aspiration because i do think there's a difference between a a kabhi khushi kabhi gham and a dil dhadakne do but like i yeah even i'm kind of struggling to sort of figure it out like is every film about wealthy people automatically glorifying wealth yeah pretty much because scholars have started calling these films class films right so even like kabhi khushi kabhi gham and dil dhadakne do even though they seem different they fall under the same category because of how they are ma- made and marketed and promoted as class films that you can watch in a multiplex and you inherently uh, want to aspire to that level of i don't know you you would want you would want to aspire to relate to these stories rather than like already coming into the story relating to it so i it it still does fall into the same category it's just that it's not an explicit messaging that this is like what you should aspire to it's just that these are the stories that are told default period that's it yeah like everybody wants to go on a whatever europe trip with their friends after zindagi na mein well i think that's the problem with those is that they're almost like setting a new societal standard they're saying like this is this is the default right this is what it should look like and this is who yeah. you all should be and i think that that is hugely problematic um but i also wonder to what extent some of the some of the some of the issues you're describing with indian films right now is just that the industry is predominantly like a tiny tiny subset of people who are all telling stories through their lens right like mm-hmm. and who is ever going to get the opportunity and the resources to create a big budget movie in bollywood yeah and i feel like the problem is that it's not like it changes if you like social media is a way of changing that right like of or of lot more creators having the chance to make content but then they sell you products like directly you know there's no narrative over there you're like a reel with a handbag or a reel with a dress <laughs> or a reel with a what i mean which is much worse right like I mean I prefer a 2 hour long beautifully short film to like a 1 minute reel which will I think play on my grave like tombstone also when I'm dying <laughs> like that's like a reel playing so I don't know if we can ever get away from this aspiration to wealth being all around us like what do you think is actually what is the alternative to aspiration setting like what Wait can we before we go there I just want to know Rohit do you do you have a problem cuz you don't like the rags to riches films but do you have a problem with real people success stories as it were like those stories of people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds and sort of against the odds like do you have a problem with people repeating those stories and glorifying them yeah i do because um i'm i don't have a problem with those people per se inherently i mean of course i celebrate the fact that they're able to uh succeed in that way and get whatever they want but i have a problem with the way the media glorifies these stories and you know you see like these heartwarming stories on social media or like newspapers where this person went from making these many rupees per month to a million whatever and then i it's just very 
uh, it just continues the status quo. It doesn't change anything. It keeps reaffirming to people again and again and again that you have to be extremely lucky and you have to have be at the intersection of extraordinary an extraordinary set of factors to be able to get this because otherwise there's no way that you can even demand these things as your right and also perpetuating the fiction that like if you just work hard enough then you'll become this but that brings us to an important point there are a lot of artists you know from marginalized groups who talk about the aspiration to to wealth and then when we're criticizing this is it coming from a place of privilege where like you know if you have a certain amount of wealth and if you have those certain amount of resources you'd be like oh it's not something to aspire to i don't know just putting that out there so i want to know rohita if you begrudge beyonce her endless Instagram posts about her. I mean, we've talked about this before, right? But it's along the same vein, right? So you are from a marginalized background. You you are one of these success stories. And then you use your newfound platform and like social capital to tell the world your own story. Is it okay? <laughs> Rohita has been put on the spot. No, Carla is taking this battle very seriously. <laughs> I want to find one instance where it's okay. I'm going to say no. Wow. Because... <laughs> because... <laughs> okay, I'll tell you why. Okay. Because I don't think that an experience of marginalization is a reason to perpetuate further marginalization. Because it's the same thing all over again of the success story of one black woman doesn't necessarily mean all black women everywhere are benefiting in some way from this materially speaking um and beyonce has been accused of like a lot of things like her clothing line is like her the clothes produced in her clothing line are made in a sweatshop which exploits people like women in bangladesh and i mean it just it i don't think there's ever a good reason irrespective but i will say that i understand mm-hmm. uh, because again like the survey that i mentioned earlier says that um being wealthy tends to be highly valued by people whose current circumstances suggests that they face long odds of ever being well off so if there's someone who wants to be wealthy but who isn't already then i empathize with that like a lot i understand where it comes from because Obviously everyone wants to improve their circumstances in some way. I don't empathize with people who have become wealthy and are not doing anything. I don't think just because Beyoncé posts pictures of herself wearing diamonds like on a yacht somewhere that that automatically means she's not doing something for her community or to give back. I think that's super unfair. I think that I mean I don't know about her specifically, but plenty of the people that we've talked about and have talked about in previous episodes who are extremely privileged also spend a lot of their time and a lot of their money giving back and trying to, I don't know, uh, ameliorate some of the like inequality that they've created. No? Maybe. Rohitha doesn't believe it. Okay. <laughs> so, but do you think there's any value whatsoever in people from a particular community being able to see a success story and like like one of those success stories like a, you know again going back to a Beyonce example like do you really you don't see any value in it I, I don't see value in it 
in like the bigger picture in the larger scheme of things you know what i think this is where i'm a little like confused because i don't necessarily endorse like austerity hmm. where you, you have to be like a monk or like renounce all material like that's not what i m- want and so i i don't know how to kind of like balance this thing of people deserve and should have nice things um but also not at the cost of other people not having those yeah i feel like you guys are missing on the the our our initial question right which yeah. is like this aspiration to wealth you're missing one of the most basic fundamental tenets of this aspiration which is about fun and like <laughs> being carefree and like aspiring to leisure that is not stressful and one of the reasons that people don't think about you know when they when they dream that they don't think about systemic oppression and injustice and inequality is that it is not like everyone likes to wake up in the morning and think wouldn't it be nice to wake up without a you know weight on my chest about something and like what if i could just go for 5 days and have fun and like didn't have to think about what it costs and it, you know so i think that a lot of the aspirations to wealth are really about being able to experience like truly carefree moments without like the weight of the world on your shoulders which most people experience on an everyday basis at whatever wealth level <laughs> right and so this is the exact opposite like you, i i think that this is ex- yeah. this is why people aspire to wealth because they want a release and an escape from this Yeah, our conversation has <laughs> moved. Why people aspire to wealth? To give me a glass of yeah. wine, please. Yeah. <laughs> After finishing this podcast, people are like, okay, got to book that fancy restaurant and have some wine. Uh, on that note, I think that's a great note to sort of just, do we want to do ending positions or should I just no. sum it up here? Okay. On that note, I think that's a great note to end on and we've given ourselves a lot to think about. I think what we really have to think about is how do you balance out uh, a more socially just world with a glass of wine at a fancy restaurant. I've said it for the 10th time now because clearly that's like we're never going to stop saying that. <laughs> yeah, highly aspirational for me. And on that note, we hope that this podcast made you richer in knowledge. if not <laughs> okay bye <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by ts studios the production company that brings the swaddle's creative point of view to original podcasts and films